Hello and welcome to this second podcast aimed at businesses or organisations thinking about potential new policy developments in their industry, which is obviously an area of particular focus in what we expect to be a general election year. Last time around, we talked about how to influence and shape policy by getting involved in the early stages of the process, so for example at the consultation stage. Today, we'll be looking at what you can do if a policy is finalised in a way that's going to have a detrimental impact on your business and you want to consider challenging it. I'm joined again by James Wood, who's another member of our HSF public law team. James, would you like to kick us off with some need-to-know introductory points about judicial review? Thanks, Jazz. So most often, the route of challenge to a finalised policy will be judicial review, which is the special form of litigation which is used to challenge decisions of public bodies. So there are lots of potential targets for challenge, and that includes policy and guidance documents and secondary legislation, such as regulations made under an Act of Parliament. On the other hand, primary legislation itself, so in particular an Act of Parliament, is more difficult to challenge and there are more limited grounds that can be used. And we'll come back to that a bit later on. Um, An initial point to check is whether there's an alternative remedy, for example, in the statutory scheme, because if so, that would mean that you have to follow that route rather than judicial review. And that's probably unlikely if what you're looking at is a general policy document, and it's probably more likely to apply if there's a specific decision that affects an individual or an organisation. And perhaps in terms of judicial review, perhaps the single most important thing to be aware of if you're thinking about challenging a policy are the extremely short time limits that apply to judicial review proceedings. And the rules are that formal litigation proceedings must be started promptly and in any event within three months. And there are actually even shorter requirements in certain contexts. So six weeks for planning cases and 30 days in the procurement world. The overriding requirement here is is promptness, um, particularly where third parties might be relying on policies or legislation that's come into effect. And therefore, there is a real need to move quickly. So waiting, for instance, the three-month long-stop date um, may actually be um, too late. And another linked point here is that starting proceedings themselves take some time. So normally, you need to submit all of your evidence and legal grounds at the very start of the court case, which is another reason why you can't leave it to the end of the three-month period before deciding um, whether to go ahead with a challenge. Yeah, and those short timescales do really often trip businesses up as they are so different to ordinary commercial litigation. The issue of timing obviously leads naturally to the question of what is the trigger for time starting to run? So where do you count from? This can be a really difficult question. It's often very context specific. For example, it'll be different depending on whether you're trying to challenge the consultation process that led to the policy because, for example, there wasn't enough information or there wasn't enough time or you're trying to challenge the policy document itself once it's published, or maybe draft secondary legislation that signals a policy change. If you are in this situation, you probably would want to get specific legal advice on this point, as it can be really quite complicated. I think suffice to say for today's purposes, it's definitely a point to have in mind at an early stage, because if it's clear that a final decision has been taken as to what a policy is going to say, then time may already be running. If you've been involved in the earlier stages of the policy's formulation, then you'll hopefully already have some advanced thinking on what you see as the problems with the policy and the impact it's going to have on your business. 
If you participated fully in the consultation process, then the consultation responses you put forward might form the basis of your evidence in any formal judicial review proceedings. You might already have legal teams involved who know the background and the documents, and all of that makes it really a lot easier to comply with the short deadlines and the front-loaded nature of judicial review, and will help you to be able to put together a strong legal case quickly enough. Um, And that's actually also a significant advantage of taking part in the consultation process. So let's think now about the decision as to whether or not to actually launch a challenge. James, what would your advice be here? Thanks, Jazz. So as with any litigation, I think the first thing is it is worth stepping back and thinking about what you're actually trying to achieve by challenging a policy that negatively impacts your business. And in that context, it's important to be aware that judicial review isn't a full merits appeal. So in other words, it's not a forum in which you can try to persuade a judge to substitute um, what you thought the policy should have been for that that the government decided to implement. And it's, it's very difficult to persuade a court that decisions were wrong in that sense. Instead, the focus of judicial review is looking at the decision making process. So how the decision was reached And was it a lawful decision rather than was it necessarily the best decision? Another point to bear in mind is that because of the remedies that are available and most commonly used in judicial review, what you might end up with at the end of a a challenge, a successful challenge, is a policy document being quashed and the public body ordered to go through that process again. And as long as the public body corrects any errors that the court found when they considered the process first time around, it is possible in that context that the decision maker could reach the same substantive outcome again, albeit with a corrected decision making process. So in those circumstances, you might wonder, well, what would judicial review achieve? Um, Well, sometimes a challenge might just be about attracting publicity to a particular development. Other times, it might be enough to seek to delay the implementation of a measure, so perhaps to give the business a bit more time to prepare itself. It might be part of a negotiating tactic, trying to persuade a policymaker to make changes, to tone down some of the more extreme aspects of their policy, or to introduce transitional arrangements, for example, that would help to ease the industry in. Sometimes just the threat of litigation or taking the early steps, such as a pre-action letter, which would put a public authority on notice that you're planning to challenge, sometimes that can be enough to bring people to the negotiating table. I suppose another possible reason might be wanting to extract information from the policymaker during the litigation process, although it's worth being aware that judicial review isn't subject to the same standard disclosure rules that you'd get in commercial litigation. Instead, the parties are under what we call a duty of candour to disclose information which is necessary to justly resolve the dispute. But this process doesn't usually yield the same amount of information that normal disclosure would. So bearing all of that in mind, you obviously need to weigh up as a business whether the cost and time involved in formal litigation is actually worth what you might expect to achieve. And obviously that will depend on how significant the impact of the new policy would be on your business and exactly what it is you're trying to achieve. Assuming you do decide to press ahead, what are the grounds that can be used in a judicial review challenge? Well, I think we could probably talk for an hour or so about the grounds of judicial review. But for today's purposes, I think we should just keep it quite brief and outline the main categories that can be used. So they generally fall into three heads. 
The first one is illegality, and that picks up things like a breach of legislation, going beyond what legislation allows, or misinterpreting legislation. It also covers a breach of the Human Rights Act, which protects a variety of rights, including some of the rights that generate a lot of discussion, such as freedom of expression, but also, importantly for businesses, the protection of property rights. And the second um, head of challenge is irrationality. And this one is the closest to a merits challenge because um, it involves you to bring a challenge on the basis that a decision is so unreasonable that no reasonable decision maker would have made it. That said, um, ultimately, the court is really careful not to stray beyond its constitutional role of just policing the decision making process. So the courts will look at things like whether irrelevant considerations were taken into account, whether proper inquiries were made, but they won't generally get drawn into judgment calls about which um, alternative policy formulation would be best at achieving the government's policy aims. And in that sense, the courts do give a wide amount of latitude to decision makers on those sorts of policy issues. So this is probably a, this is generally a difficult ground to succeed on unless there is some clear evidence that something has gone quite badly wrong. And the final head or ground, set of grounds of challenge is procedural unfairness. And this covers things like natural justice and due process, including the conduct of consultation exercises, whether the right procedure was followed and whether adequate reasons were given if they were required in that particular context. Um, and as I briefly mentioned earlier, it's important to know that these grounds of judicial review operate very differently in relation to primary legislation. So challenges can be brought against primary legislation, but primary legislation can't be struck down by the courts. And in addition, the only realistic ground on which to attack an Act of Parliament is generally to argue that it's incompatible with the Human Rights Act. And as I mentioned earlier, that can include things like whether the legislation interferes impermissibly with property rights. Thanks, James. So that's a very whistle-stop tour of judicial review in the context of challenging policies. So although there are difficulties with successful judicial review challenges that we've touched on today, such as the limitations on challenging an Act of Parliament, the deference that courts show to decision makers and policy issues, and the practical cost and time implications of bringing any kind of formal litigation, and these really do demonstrate the importance of getting involved at the policy formulation stage and having your say, as we discussed in the first podcast, do bear in mind still the possibility of challenges as an important tool, particularly if the consequences of a policy change are really significant for your business. Thank you very much for listening.